You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Rick and Sexy Irish Sean. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about what can board game developers learn from the shortcomings of video games? There have been some recent and not so recent, long boiling truths that have kind of emerged in, in very public ways recently. And we thought we would kind of talk about them because it really kind of involves what your community does for you and what it can do to you if you are not, if you treat them like money. So listen up. Yes, this is going to be an action-packed podcast full of information. Legendary. Oh, man. Legendary. Legendary. So yeah, this definitely at least is beyond rare. It's at least epic quality. What was above legendary? It was relic. Wasn't relic above legendary? Game master only. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, super nerd. So yeah, let's let's dive in. Sean, you had uh, you want to take the lead on this one? Sure. So I thought it was important to talk a little bit about the state that the video game industry is is currently in. You know, it's it's grown in popularity. I think we all you know all of us remember these sort of quaint little games that we played as kids. And now it's a multi-billion dollar industry and it's well-researched and it's got huge player bases. Trillion dollar industry. What can board game developers learn from the shortcomings of uh, the film industry and the video game industry or any, any of these big industries that have really moved away from their roots and maybe some warnings to the board game industry because the board game industry is uh, grassroots. It is growing. And will we see the similar trends in this industry as it grows in popularity and as profits increase within the industry as well. So what are your thoughts, guys? Now, we we just saw this um, Gold video where it really kind of focused on, and I think we talked about this last podcast a little bit, it yeah, focused on the rise of you know the WoW killer, the thing that killed WoW, and WoW is still around, and I have a feeling it will always be with a, its salty community of old timers, you know. <laughs> but the Final Fantasy XIV is an MMO that actually overtook World of Warcraft in uh, popularity in the month of July, and it was specifically because Twitch streamers, including that one very famous Twitch streamer called Asmund Gold, switched from World of Warcraft to Final Fantasy XIV and was blown away. And then all the other major streamers did so as well. Uh, and Final Fantasy became extremely popular. And even though it was 11 years old, what many would have said, hey, well, this is the kind of the twilight of this game or the mature, you know, make as money, much money as you can out of, out of these user base or whatever. All of a sudden they had this massive resurgence of World of Warcraft players that were fed up, uh, you know, just as a former Blizzard hardcore fanboy, now not a fanboy. Disillusioned, heartbroken. Paul, yeah, very disillusioned fanboy. I think that the importance of the value that Blizzard placed on their community for a very long time and the value that they currently place on their community are coming from two very different places. And I think that this, the primary, the, the, the way, I guess, that I, where I saw this change start was when Blizzard was acquired by Activision, a very large company devoted to profits. But evidently they were filthy rich and bought Blizzard when World of Warcraft was kind of in its 
heyday prime and i just saw things start to go downhill from there the emphasis wasn't on by gamers for for gamers it was more like by a corporation for consumers yeah exactly by by a corporation for consumers and i think that that was a huge turning point in the way that they treated their community all of the really awesome people at blizzard started to kind of drop off you know mike morhame kind of resigned as the ceo somewhat you know, I mean, it's not super recent, but somewhat recently, you've got a lot of the old school people that were involved in the development of Diablo and, um, you know, Warcraft and, you know, all the way through World of Warcraft that kind of left. Those people were so like they were normal people driven to make awesome games that they really wanted to play. And now you have executives that are that are concerned with the bottom line that probably don't even understand Minecraft. You know, why I don't even understand why my kids play Minecraft, but I make tons of money from this type of garbage. You know, I I just feel like that's the attitude that they have. And it has really impacted their long-term success. I mean, massive impact. Uh, I'm excited that it has because, you know, when a company when a company treats people like dollar signs, the consumer base learns to treat the company like dollar signs or you know if I, if I like it i'll play it and if i don't like it then i don't care whereas you know i look at the board game industry you have so many small businesses so many board game companies creating products that they themselves wanted to see exist and they are finding player bases full of others that are very excited their product exists so it's just like, you know, the classic days of, of Blizzard where, you know, or, or many, many other video game companies that, you know, people made a thing they wanted to see exist and other players responded. So, I mean, there was a time where I myself would just buy whatever Blizzard made because Blizzard made it. So it must be awesome. Blizzard made it. So I must, I should know about it. I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, and I suppose there was a time in the video game industry where developing games was very risky. It wasn't this billion, you know, multi-billion dollar industry with huge player bases. There was hardware limitations. Not everyone had computers. Not everyone had gaming systems. So, you know, these things are far more accessible now. There's far more demand for them, which is a blessing and a curse, right? Because it's harder to stand out in the market. Another person to, to think about in the, in the gaming industry is Gabe Newell the founder of Valve Corporation, which is, I think, one of the only top-tier game development com companies that's still private. You can't buy stocks for Valve Corporation because they're 100% private. Yeah. And I don't know if, if what's the correct word. He's currently trapped in New Zealand because he flew over there when all this COVID stuff started happening and he sort of got trapped there. But he's been making good use of his time. He's been going to schools and getting involved in the community and giving talks. So there is this interview he did at a school that was put on YouTube. And it's, it's very interesting because the school asked him some very poignant questions. And one thing I'd like to share with you is he was asked, what were the important qualities for entrepreneurs and game developers? And this is what he says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote it, but we'll include a link to the video in the show notes for you to check out the whole interview, and I encourage you to do so because you share some interesting things. But this is what he said in re response to important qualities for entrepreneurs and game developers. Quote, the most important thing is to listen to customers. A question I get a lot is, how can I get into game development? I always describe the same thing. 
which is to get into an iterative cycle where you are building something for a clear customer. The key thing is to build something with a clear idea of who that customer is with a way of measuring the consequences of the choices you've made. You need to have a quantitative method to iterate and say, okay, my next piece of work should have this consequence on this metric and it either succeeds or fails. You will find that you will learn really quickly how to be better as a game developer or as a software developer through that loop. So there's two things there. It's it's customer feedback, <laughs> listening to your customers, and then creating ways of actually measuring that and then implementing it and then continuing to do that. And he really talked about that being the success of Half-Life, his you know, their first game, where they actually delayed the launch because they obviously got some type of feedback that they then implemented and they came back with a stronger game as a result of that, which has stood the test of time. And you should listen to Gabe Newell because he invented game development, <laughs> basically. <laughs> he invented it. Oh, that's a Team Fortress yes. 2 uh, reference. But um, <laughs> and then he perfected it on the battlefield. <laughs> yeah. So as for the Asmongold video that we talked about last week, that's really what the Blizz did. Uh, devs were talking about how the company had changed from being one that listened to its customers and iterated uh, those changes to one that didn't care about them was only uh, issued about uh, only thinking about the bottom line yeah you know i think that the community building and iterative feedback that that you were talking about with that gabe newell was was um you know discussed in his talk that's so important and for game development i actually look at that as marketing because, you know, one of the major things that people looked at for, for me and I look at for others is give suggestions to games that I really like. I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool if you could do this. And then I received tons of suggestions like that. And to merely just feel heard, you know, if it's just a simple like, hey, thanks for your feedback or, you know, oh, that is a good idea. And, and oh, my goodness, if I see a, a suggestion I made actually make it into the product. I become just a, like, I'll buy it just because they listen to me. Like the, you know, it's not like I'm spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on some sort of like house or, you know, a thousand dollars on a, a new computer or something like that. I'm spending $50 on a game or a hundred dollars on a game. And if I feel like that game is mine and I'm a part of that and, you know, I will be behind it. And, um, it just, uh, you start to really value the people behind and you want to support those people. It's, you know, it creates like this really positive community and a place that you want to interact because you feel like if you do, I mean, you're spending time, you know, giving people suggestions and, you know, you don't want to cast your pearls before swine, right? You want the wisdom that you have or the, the limited amount of time that you have to dedicate to anything before you have to sleep and get back to work, you, you want that to feel valued. I think that people do a lot just simply because they feel valued. I have um, volunteers that run our Discord and do all sorts of other things like entirely free because they feel valued and they feel like their contributions are meaningful. I think that is such an important lesson. And then, of course, you know, the ability to actually take feedback and iterate on it and like make a thing, make your thing better, I think is so important. And for me, like my, you know, my key metrics, a lot of the time were, how do people look when they're playing my game? You know, like a lot of the time, you know, we do play testing early on, play testing in person and, or at conventions and that kind of thing. 
and people would say, oh, this game is fun. But when I, when I'm watching them play, they're on their cell phone, they're kind of disengaged. They're, you know, have their, they sitting back and have their arms folded versus like leaning in and, and, and interested in asking questions and collaborating with their teammates or, or whatever. And um, get up and walk away from the table. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, just the body language of people, I think became my number one metric. And um, there were other things too, you know, that I would use, for example, I would ask people for the, for the edification of the rest of the table so that everyone can hear, would you please read this card or the skill out loud so that um, everybody else knows what's going on too. And people would read out loud. And I remember there was this one point that I had tons of icons in the text. I thought, oh, the more icons, the better. And people would be like, okay, uh, this moves toward the nearest player and deals sword and gains heart. And, you know, they were, they, they would stop at like some symbol they didn't recognize and like, and to know what they did something and then something else it's like uh that did not work very well like the way that i thought that it would work was totally different than than i expected and i i had those little metrics up like i'm going to uh, pay attention to these things and really what it comes down to is your the core experience that you want in my opinion the core experience you want your players to have try to make sure that they're having that experience if you want your players to be stressed out and you know, fearful about, oh my goodness, what's around the next corner, then look for them to communicate that language on the table, right? Um, if you want your game to end in one hour, you know, watch for that and see what is causing players to take a really long time and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, it's, it is kind of tough to iterate, you know, when you're at a convention and whatnot. I, I, I feel like you have so few actual tests like i remember at gen con our game was tested like it was played five times you know five times by probably 15 to or you know 15 or so people and you know we had to draw conclusions from that and really you know when you're looking at at data and measuring data that's a very small sample size tabletop simulator has really revolutionized the way that we do play testing in a lot of ways. The one terrible thing is you can't get body language. So, uh, but you can get tons and tons of play tests where people will, will say like, oh, I got stuck on this or I got stuck on that, you know? So I, I do think that the root of uh, get iterate, you know, you iterate on feedback is really in person, but tabletop simulator is a good second. And a good thing that I know that you did is that when people finished playing a tabletop simulator, you sent them a form which they could fill out straight away whilst everything was fresh in their mind of what they thought about the game. And they can give you private and honest feedback that you can then collect and then analyze and then draw some conclusions from. So that is key to your Kickstarter marketing process. It's key to your game development process. So th this is really interesting where community building is, as Andrew said, has it's the combination of both your marketing and your game development in the same thing. And this is really what people crave. Because of social media, people don't, they want to be active in with businesses. They don't just want to consume passively like you used to with advertisements on TV. So watch the, the TV commercial and you just consumed it. You, you, then now you, people want to interact. And what Kickstarter affords and social media affords is this ability for your fans to connect with you in a very deep and meaningful way whilst 
feeling like they're part of the game development process and the marketing process because ultimately your best marketers are your fans. They're the ones who are going to tell their friends and family about it and it's going to be genuine and honest. So it's really, really important that community building is the the foundation of your game development and your marketing mm-hmm. strategy, which means you can't bait the system with a formula, which is maybe one right. great thing and why it's going to maybe be harder to for the board game industry, or and this might slow down the board game industry from being you know taken over by big corporate entities, because it doesn't matter if you have killer ads and a killer landing page. If you don't manage community well, you could really, really suffer as a result. And you know, we often get asked by, by clients is, hey, do you do social media management as in do you do social media posts and like interact with the community? We always say no because the, this whole system is designed to connect you, the developer, with your fans and you can't outsource that to somebody. And even if you did, it would be ridiculously expensive because the amount of work that I'd have to go into to actually do, do a good job at that would be right. outrageous. No, no one knows your product better than you. Yeah, well, no one knows your product better than you and nobody is more passionate about your product than you. And um, it's it's the same thing with babies. You know, mommies and daddies should think that their kids are the most beautiful, awesome kids in the world. But if they were to send them to a daycare or school or whatever, they won't be treated the same, right? It's kind of the same way with social media management. Yeah, one um, thing you don't want to ever do as well is come across as condescending or as belittling because you're really trying to build your community and make them feel like they can mm-hmm. voice their honest view, even if it's ridiculous, even if it's yeah. completely unsubstantiated. You need to create a space where people feel comfortable to be honest and feel like you can listen to them mm-hmm. and respectfully disagree or you know encourage them. So that's really, really important when thinking about marketing, game development, and community building. For Deliverance, I realized that I am in a small way a a public figure that people really kind of hang on my words. You know, the fans of Deliverance are really hardcore. And so if I were to, and I've done this before, I, you know, there was somebody that was just super duper salty in a Facebook um, ad, you know, a comment to one of my Facebook ads. And I kind of dunked on them because it was, you know, they just, I felt like, you know, this person deserves to get dunked on. And I thought it was so funny and so clever. Um, I actually, I blocked the names and, and that kind of thing. And I decided to share it with my community. This is probably like a year ago or so. You know, I actually lost some community members because of it, even though it was really funny, totally in good humor. I wasn't like being mean to them or whatever. I was just being silly. But I, I had some people like, you should be better than the rest of us. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a, um, kind of a, my first, it was a surprise, but it was something that I realized I need to like be filled with so much grace that I can never be swayed. You know, people want me to be perfect and I, you know, I, and I make mistakes and it's just, that's not how I'll be, but as close to perfect as I can be is what I need to be in order to kind of do my fans right, I guess. And so I I learned that I really need to be uplifting, always positive, never negative, you know, and and so many other things from feedback, you know, sometimes very harsh, critical feedback where somebody just like read me the riot act and then dropped my group, you know, 
And um, I think that it's it's always possible to win people back. It's a lot harder to win people back than to win people. It definitely helped me, you know, do a better job moving forward. And I think that now I have, you know, backers and fans that are like, I can't believe how nice you were to that crazy lunatic on the Facebook ad or whatever. You know, I, I'll have people oftentimes will come to the defense of deliverance when somebody says like, oh, is this some stupid game where a bunch of Christians try to convert you? And, you know, there's this thinly veiled theme of angels and and I'll have tons of people come to the defense of the game because it's like, no, no, it's not, you know, and it's actually a really awesome game and this and that. But sometimes people get negative, you know, well-meaning fans will, will be like, don't talk about my favorite game like that. And, you know, they'll just start to like throw mud and I'll delete those comments and respond to a person that I know is absolutely being negative, trying to stir the pot, you know, trying to be a, a jerk. You know, the the uh, the person that raised the original kind of argument and I will respond to that person as though they were asking an honest question. And I'll try to even pick the bits out that I can respond to, you know, the, the reasonable, rational bits that I can respond to and you know, give a response there and, and ignore the part where he said, like, get your stupid, awful religion out of my hobby or, you know, something like that, which, which, you know, it happens. And but, the key there, I think, mm -hmm. is you're actually not responding to him because people like that, they can't have their minds changed. But what you're doing is you're actually speaking to people who read that thread, who, who might be yes. interested. So you need to keep that in mind. So as you know, as you said, it's picking out the things which you can champion and move forward. So, for example, if someone just says, your game sucks, I play tested it, and it's, it was horrible, and you can just One you can reply, you could say, yeah. well, I'm sorry you had a negative experience, but you know, for the benefit of helping us make things better, uh, how, could we make, how could we improve things? Right. And he might not even respond, but you've demonstrated to your community that you listen to, to feedback mm -hmm. and that you are interested in what they have to say. And that, that's, that's, that's very valuable for your community to know. I actually think that by itself is probably the most valuable thing that we have said on this podcast. Not my words. Yeah. If you didn't hear what Sean said, I think that is one of the most valuable lessons that you could learn from this podcast up to this point is that when you respond to an irate person or an irrational person or just a person who's a fan, you are also writing something that 10 times the number of people involved in the conversation are going to uh, read and remain silent. So um, I think that's a huge deal. You've got a lot of people that lurk in communities that want to be a part and, and follow along and that sort of thing, but aren't really interested in responding for whatever reason. They're just kind of browsing and scrolling and they're going to read what it is that you write and they'll never say anything to you. You'll never know that that person decided to write you off, leave your group, whatever, or just stop following your game or, or back your game or not back your, or, uh, or, or rather, I'm sorry, not back your game because of something you said. But the, the best you can do is plan for, you know, nothing that you say, even if it's in a direct message is private. You know, you have to consider public. everything that you say is public mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be scrutinized. Other people are going to look at it. Yeah, we have some clients who say, oh, you know, we're getting some negative comments on our Facebook ads. 
And by the way, that's an, that's inevitable. You will get negative comments. I don't this, care if you've got the most political People are negative correct. on Facebook sometimes. I don't know if you guys know this or On not. the internet, really? Sometimes. So rare. So rare. Yeah, so <laughs> the key there is is to learn how to make those things, turn those things into yeah. a positive. And and also not to change their mind. Yeah, change their mind. Sometimes you just have to delete them as well. Sometimes it's just so ludicrous yep. and it's so right. inflammatory or vile. That's like, okay, yeah. delete. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, sometimes people will say something so negative that it's like, you know, there's there's no redeeming quality to this. And I just I just delete that post or or um, usually it's a comment, a comment, like a pithy comment. The uh, the one thing that keeps popping into my mind when you guys are talking about this is a, a Deliverance review I saw. And the guy gave Deliverance one star and he goes, yeah, I can't believe all these, uh, these five-star reviews of all these people <laughs> Uh, liking the game so much. So I'm going to give it a one star just to make it more realistic. I'm <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> it's funny because sometimes like when I would deal with a small business owner on Yelp um, that would have a negative review, they'd be like, you know, they have like eight reviews on Yelp and one of them is just like a one star and the rest are all five stars with happy customers. And they, they always tell me, oh, the one star customer, they didn't even use me. I've never seen that person before in my life and whatever and they're like what do i do about it you know and you there's a process where you might be able to get certain reviews removed for um for one reason or another usually because it's against yelp's terms of service um but in you know my advice is always the same to those people go get ten thousand other happy customers to give you a review and no problem also it also depends on like you said how you respond to that kind of review. In fact, one of our one of our uh, our clients uh, was was upset over a one star review, also on Yelp. And I, I talked to him. I said, you know what? Just you know, give a give a heartfelt response and see if you can clarify uh, why the person what you know you know gave you one star. So he wrote a response out uh, to this one star review, and the response was phenomenal. It showed how much passion he had in his company, how much he cared about his company how much his employees cared. And I think that that negative review actually bumped up um, his referrals and stuff because people would see that because it's it's still there. The one, the one star review is still there and he's still getting tons of referrals from Yelp. So I think they're reading that one star and they're reading his response and then they're like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. I should sign up for his company even though they, they got a one star review from this person. The way that you respond to negativity is so important and it's it's an opportunity to show your quality. And the opposite has just recently happened. It shows up on my news feeds. I think it started like maybe a couple of weeks ago. There's a, I think it was a roofing contractor in Vancouver and they uh, received a one-star review from this couple. Now there's a couple things involved. I mean, the, so the, the landlord of this property wanted, you know, I guess the roof checked or structure checked to make sure it was okay for this property. But the people who lived in there, the tenants also want to know, you know, is it safe, whatever. Uh, but because of, you know, uh, you know, confidentiality of client, you know, they, their client was the landlord, not the tenant. Um, so when the when the tenants asked, they called and asked if they get the information. They said no, but not only did they say no, they were very rude about it, and they said that the person who answered the phone, you know, laughed at them and you know did things. And so they gave this company a one star review. Now they weren't their direct clients, but they called and they were interacted and they gave one star review. Well, in return, this roofing company decided to they wanted to sue them for this one star review because they said it was defamation. 
and now mm-hmm. the internet's going crazy <laughs> and all these people caught on this because it got it got it got it got put on a news article and then a, a news reporter picked it up and then of course now all these people are reading it and now they're all putting one star reviews on the company for you know yep. for them and so this is a case of where you got to be very very careful of how you respond and like like in this case they did a they they responded negative with negative thinking oh you know we're gonna fix this and it just mm-hmm. it, it's really messed them up they had to close their google account business account um their business says it's closed on google um because they were getting too many uh, uh negative responses from it and uh, it's become it's come, become a pr disaster for this company and it may i mean i'm assuming it's affecting their business yeah you know it's uh, one of those things that the way that you respond you know i i feel like sometimes a uh a client or you know a business owner will look at themselves and a place of power and they say nothing can bring me down from here i'm not afraid of anything and they feel like the masters of their domain and uh, it feels really good especially when things are going well you can feel like that but in in actuality i think as a business owner not only do you have to remember that you are the the same as the person you're talking to like you're equal to that person you are a fan of the game that you're making and they are a fan of the game that they're making. You are not superior to them because you are the, the 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 maker. But you should act like a fan, right? And I think that that's one of the the lessons that we really want to um, kind of get get across is just that um, these people are you know if they're treated well, they'll they'll treat you well, right? Um, but if you kind of um, I guess the best way I can describe what I was about to say next is. People who are in glass houses should not throw stones. I think that sometimes business owners see themselves in, you know, a fortified castle when in actuality they're in a glass house. You know, I guarantee you the the people that at that roofing company in in Vancouver that just, you know, they made a huge mistake that they wouldn't have made before, or if they would have known all of the ramifications, probably said, you know, we want to teach that guy a lesson you know, that, that gave us that negative review. And, um, they, it became about the principle of the thing. And the, uh, the world at large is a small place with social media. It's really easy to just step on a landmine. Yes. It's it's like you said, it's about showing your qualities, a chance for Fermier, Captain of Gondor to show his his quality. (laughs) But I, I, I'll tell you what, maybe this is another way of thinking it. There's actually a negative to having a really engaged and active community. And you need to be aware of this. It's having or surrounding yourself with yes, yes people. I call them yes mm-hmm. men or yes people. These are people yep. who are, are such huge fans of your content or of you. They'll never say anything negative. And what these people could do is that if someone does bring up a legitimate issue with your content or with your game, these yes people or fanboys is just going to attack that person. And that could be very unhelpful. So, you know, this is... the. You know, particularly when it comes to like game development and getting honest feedback, I, you know, I always love going to my brother for any type of create. My brother's a, a graphic designer, so any type of creative design uh, stuff, I always go to him because he is not a yes person. He's he's a, a no, a, certainly a no person. In fact, he probably goes too far. But I find it very helpful because he always p- uh, points out something that I've missed. And if he was just like, if I go to my mum. She's just a yes person. Oh, it's lovely, dear. You know, it's like anything you do, she's going to be, and you, you don't, you want to find people yeah. and you want to be aware of this if you've got a big fan base is that just take it with a grain of salt. You, you want to make sure that you're not surrounding yourself with yes people, but people who are willing to tell you things that you might not want to hear. 
I agree with that. I think that it's uh, such a big deal to have uh, private feedback. You know, um, like I was saying earlier with deliverance, people would say, oh, yeah, this was fun. But it wouldn't be like, you know, if I were like, well, you want to play another game? They'd be like, oh, no, no I got to go. Uh, go what my dog? Else. <laughs> yeah. And um, you don't have a dog. Yeah, exactly. So you have to find ways that people can give honest feedback or you have to find ways to extract honest feedback from a situation. Like I talked about, body language became the most important thing. You know, if I bring deliverance to game night with my friends, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, that was great, Andrew. Um, let's play Scythe now. Or, you know, but the the body language was always a dead giveaway of like, oh, they're on their cell phone. They're not engaged. Or something that they say like, oh, I dealt two damage. That sucks. Um, that type of feedback is something that you have to listen for, right? So anyway. Absolutely. And that wraps up for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A special shout out to your community because without them, you're not here. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. That was legendary. That was this podcast was legendary. Only legendary? I wanted to be Relic. Jeez. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode and you want to listen to more, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you're interested in advertising and getting your pre-market going with your Kickstarter, as well as your current marketing and Kickstarter going, well, let's just say uh, pre-marketing, <laughs> visit us at nextlevelweb.com forward slash Kickstarter. And that's all the time we got. Have a great week and stay nerdy. Stay legendary. Relic. Really.